am I? Now, how many of you love lollies? How many of you would like a packet of bullets to flavor raspberry? Put up your hand if you would like this packet. All right. I, I'm very reluctant to depart with them. Uh, probably a good thing that I do. But I will give a packet, this whole packet of lollies, to anybody here this morning who will be able to identify the person I'm about to describe. Okay? If you can identify the person, I'm going to do a who am I. If you know who it is, I will walk down to you and reluctantly give you my lollies. Okay? Now, let me say this. I think the younger generation might not get it, might not get who it is. But some of you who are of the mature age, maybe you will. All right? You listening? Listen carefully. This is for a bag of lollies. Who am I? Actually, it might be quite easy. I was born in Dublin in 1960, the second son to Bobby and Iris. At school, I was good at chess, history, painting, theater, and singing. As an adult, I've been involved in international movements to address world poverty, and I've met with the Pope and the President of the United States of America. I've appeared on stage as the fly and used wraparound sunglasses as the signature of my style. My voice has been described as a teenage croon full of longing and rebellion that has evolved into a throaty roar full of anger and passion. Who am I? Who said it first? Who, who was it over there? Celia. But you didn't bring me coffee this morning, so I'm keeping my... Well done. None other than Paul Hewson, Bono, you two. In fact, when you read a little bit about his life, he's a man full of surprises and contradictions. Back in 1997, if I can go back to the, uh, the picture that's coming up there, uh, a lady by the name of Meredith Brooks, she wrote a smash song, 1997, still played on the radio today. In fact, I, I heard it, funny enough, played on the radio in the week. Here were some of the lines from her song. She said, I'm a lover, I'm a child, I'm a mother, I'm a sinner, I'm a saint and do not feel ashamed. I'm your hell, I'm your dream, I'm nothing in between, you wouldn't want it any other way. Really? <laughs> Who are you? Who are you? One of the uh, supreme ways that Christians can answer that question as to who am I is to say, I am in Christ. I am in Christ. It's one of those phrases that is used by just about every New Testament writer in some way. It was the favorite phrase of the Apostle Paul, to be in Christ. It's used in his letters. It's used in 1 Peter. Let me give you three just very brief examples. And, and notice how, how, how the, the writer addresses the people of God. To God's people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. When Paul writes to the Christians in Colossae, he says to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters, where? In Christ. If you come back into 1 Peter chapter 5, he says this, And the God of all grace, who called you 
to his eternal glory in Christ. The thing that we've got to understand is that Christians uh, are not the same people as everybody else. It's not like that just Christians and non-Christians are the same people, but we've got a different religious label. Christians are in Christ. That's who we are. And it takes something of a lifetime of preaching and a lifetime of personal exploration to really understand something of the depth of being in Christ. But let me just give you a couple of little things. To be in Christ means that, 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 that everything we are is because of Christ. If we're in Christ, everything that we are is because of who he is and what he has done. To be in Christ means that all of his identity and all that belongs to him is ours. To be in Christ means that our lives are so wrapped up, they are so intertwined with him that the Apostle Paul puts it like this in Colossians 3.3 when he says, For you died and your life is now what? Hidden in Christ. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? That your life, Christian, is hidden in him. If you're in Christ, you're hidden in him. So take a look at this diagram coming up on the screen. We've been in these last sort of five or six weeks, we've been something on something of a, a, a biblical, global pursuit to understand who we are in Christ. And if you were to say this morning, I am in Christ, it means that if you were in Christ, it means that you, were, that you were chosen in Christ. It means that you were forgiven in Christ, redeemed in Christ, adopted in Christ, pardoned in Christ, rescued in Christ, justified by Christ, indwelt by the Spirit of Christ, united to Christ, born again of Christ. And that there is just a mere breathtaking snapshot of all that we are in Christ. And let me ask you this question, why? Why would, why would Christ choose you to be in him? Why would he pour out such grace to you over and over and over? Why would he pour out blessing upon blessing upon blessing to you? Why? To show you the glory of his grace. So that you might revel in the glorious grace of Christ. For his praise, for his glory, for your eternal joy. But as I close this series this morning, I want to add two further I am's or who I am's to this picture. And it'll sort of rounded all off. And I'm going to take both of them from 1 Peter chapter 1, 13 to 16. So here we go. Here's the first one. You've got your Bible. I hope it's uh, open in front of you. And who am I? We'll fill in that gap in just a moment. Look at verse 13. Therefore, Peter says, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Now look at that verse carefully. Look about halfway through and you'll see the imperative. You'll see the command. Set your hope. Fix your hope. Fix it on what? Fix it on the grace that will be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. 
But now as you look at it, set your hope, fix your hope, notice there's also a therefore at the beginning. And the therefore puts it into context saying that everything in light of everything before, in light of everything that has come, set your hope, fix your hope. So what Peter is saying is this. In light of everything I've told you about your salvation in Christ, therefore, in light of that, because of that, set your hope, fix your hope on the grace that will be revealed when Christ comes. I guess we could put it like this, using our journey of these last five or six weeks. Because you've been chosen, because you've been forgiven, because you've been redeemed, because you've been adopted, because you've been pardoned, because you've been justified, because you've been indwelt by the Spirit, because you've been united to Christ, because you've been born again by the Spirit, because of all that, fix your hope, set your hope on what happens when Jesus comes back. What is this grace? What is this this grace? What is this grace that that is coming when Jesus Christ is revealed? The grace is the fullness of the grace that we have now. Does that make sense? The grace that's coming is the fullness of the grace that we have now. We're in Christ now. We're blessed with every blessing now. We have everything in Christ now, but we don't experience its fullness, do we? We don't experience the full experience of all that we are in Christ. Does that make sense? I guess we could put it a little bit like this. Who am I? I am. I am now, right? I am now, but I am now, but not Yet. Does that make sense? We have all the riches, we have all the wisdom in Christ now, but we haven't experienced that fullness because we still live in the flesh. Let me put it like this We we have saved souls. We have everything in Christ, but that saved soul, it's 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 incarcerated, if you like, in a sinful body. And our sinful body is forever generating evil desires. That's why Peter puts it like this in 1 Peter 2.11. He says, dear friends, he says, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which do what? Which war against your saved soul. Your saved soul lives in a body that never stops producing evil desires. And those evil desires never stop waging war against your redeemed soul. That's why Paul puts it like this in Romans 8. He says, not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we're indwelt by the Spirit, but we groan inwardly as we await for our what? Our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. You see, we are adopted, aren't we? Are we adopted now? Yes, but not yet. 
The, the, the fullness of that adoption, that's what's coming. And the fullness of, of the grace to be revealed is the redemption of our bodies. And look at the very next verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 24. He says, for in this, what? In this hope we are saved. Our hope is the fullness of redemption. Our hope is, is, is the rescue from this, from this body of death, as Paul puts it in Romans chapter 7. Our hope is nothing less than the resurrection from the dead. So as we go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, 13, brothers and sisters, our hope is the fullness, is the fullness of, of everything that we have now. It's the fullness of everything that we only experience in part now. But look at verse 13 again and notice what it says. It says you are to set your hope with minds that are alert and with soberness. With a mind of alertness and a mind of sobriety fix your hope. What is Peter saying? He's saying, fix on this hope. Fix on it intently. Be clear-minded. Don't be confused. Don't get entangled and sucked up into all the false hopes that this world offers. Put it this way. Don't get drunk on the hopes of this world, but intently, intentionally, intensely, Set your mind, set your mind on the hope, on the grace that is coming. If you were to finish this statement, how would you finish it? Or how might someone you know finish this statement? I hope for, and I'm talking in a sort of a worldly earthly context. How would you finish that? So many ways, I guess, and here are just a handful of the ways in which some people and us would, for, would answer that. I, I hope for financial security, or I hope for children, or I hope for a good marriage, or I hope for love, for stability, for safety, for security, for good health. I hope for justice. I hope for world peace. I hope to live long. I was uh, witnessing to a young lady in the week, and I asked her, and asked her what she hoped for in life, and she said to me, "I hope for happiness. I hope for happiness." None of these hopes are bad in and of themselves, but none of them are guaranteed in this life, are they? None of them are fixed. None of them are eternal. None of them going to last forever, that they're all temporary, they're all fleeting. You know that every single one of those can become idolatrous in your heart. But the hope of the grace that is coming, the hope of the fullness that all that we have now, that is absolutely secure and guaranteed. It's an eternal If you've been in sales or you listen to sales jargon, you'll always hear the word guaranteed, right? And, and, and we, we, we tend to buy things that have a longer guarantee, right? 
This is no free advertising, but Triton has just come out with the longest guarantee in vehicle manufacturing history. 10-year diamond guarantee. This product, I guarantee that it's going to be the best. I guarantee its performance. It's guaranteed satisfaction or your money back. 30-day price guarantee. The hope of future grace, the hope of future grace is absolutely secure and guaranteed for at least two reasons. Here's number one. Number one, it's guaranteed because Jesus Christ does not lie. God does not lie. Here's the second reason. Future grace is what Jesus died for. He didn't just die so that we can have it partially experienced now. He died so that we could have it fully. And we experience it fully. In other words, in other words if, if, that future, if that future grace doesn't come, it absolutely undermines the very reason why Jesus Christ died in the first place. And just think it's there in first. Let me just check if it's in there. Just look at verse 13 again. Notice that he calls it what? He calls it future. Do you see what's coming? It's future grace. Do you see the word grace? You're saved by grace now, and you'll be saved by grace. Then it's, it, it, it's not like we're saved by grace now, and then we've got to keep on earning it and working for it in, other, in order to get that which is coming. Oh, actually, oh, you remember Ephesians 1, don't you? It was actually grace past, grace present, and grace future. It's grace upon grace upon grace from beginning to end. My brother and sister, that which is coming, the fullness of what we have now is by grace. How do, you set your, how do you set your heart or how do you set your, your mind on that future grace with alertness and sobriety? How, do you, how, how, does, how, does, how does alertness and sobriety fit with this? Think about your future grace. Think about it. Continue to read about it in the Word of God. Meditate upon the future grace that is coming to you. And keep asking Jesus to bring it. Who am I? I am hopeful. Are you hopeful? Is your mind fixed with alertness and sobriety and single-mindedness on that grace that's coming. In the midst of your trials and your tribulations and your troubles, does your future grace give you comfort? Does your hope, does your future grace does it produce in you endurance and perseverance? 
I want to ask you a question. And maybe just be honest in your own heart. Do you pray for Jesus to come back and bring the future grace? Do you pray that? Let me ask you this. If Jesus was to be revealed today, that word revealed in that verse, it's the Greek word apocalypsis. If he's revealed, he's talking about the second coming. If Jesus Christ came back today, would that be an intrusion into your life? If Jesus came back today, would that mess up your life? If Jesus came back today, and, and supposedly you had a choice whether to stay or to go, would you stay or go? Do you pray, come, Lord Jesus, come, as, as John prayed in Revelation? Because when you pray that, you're praying for Jesus to bring the fullness of the grace that you have now. Who am I? I am hopeful. Who are you? I hope that you're hopeful. Let's go to the second one. Have a look at verse 14 and 15, and we'll, uh, we'll, fill, the, we'll fill the gap in there as well. Look at verse 14 and 15, I think it's coming up there. So Peter continues, he says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, verse 16, be holy because I am holy. Now I want you to keep looking here because what Peter is actually saying here is so profound. You need you to stay with me. And it's not actually picked up by most of the translations. Have a look at verse 14. As obedient children. The NIV, most of the translations go as obedient children. But directly from the Greek, it actually says as children of obedience. Not obedient children but children of obedience, and there is a monumental difference. So what Peter is saying is this. As children of obedience, Peter is saying that obedience is the mother of children, not children the mother of obedience. Now, if that doesn't make sense, listen carefully. It means that God's children are born of obedience. When he says, as children of obedience, he's not referring to our acts of obedience. He's actually referring to our nature as obedience. So what he's saying is, as children who have natures of obedience, because you've got a nature that is a new nature that's obedient, do not conform to what you live like when you lived in ignorance. Just to open this up for you a little bit, have a look at it in, in 1 Peter 1 verse 3. Praise be to the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy has given us what? A new birth. Uh, uh, other translation, we've been born again into a living hope through the gospel. In other words, to be born again by the Spirit of God, through the gospel of God, through the grace of God, is to be given a new obedient nature. That's what Paul talks about in Corinthians when he says we are now new creations. Let's do the opposite. When we were out of Christ, we were children 
of disobedience. It means that we only had natures that were wired and wound for disobedience. When we were out of Christ, when we were non-Christians, we only sinned all of the time. Why? Because nothing we did was from faith, and nothing we did was for the glory of Christ. To be born again by the Spirit of Christ is to be given a new nature where that nature is wound and wired for obedience. I hope that makes some sort of sense. So we could put it like this, who am I? I am a child of obedience. Now, yes, of course, this, this new nature, this new nature is still in the old body, right? It's still in the old flesh. It's still in the body of decay. That's why we continue to sin. But with a new nature, our new pattern will be obedience. Because we have a new nature of obedience and we're children of obedience, our pattern can and will be obedience as opposed to to disobedience. If you've got your Bible, look at verse 16 where Peter says, quoting from Leviticus, be holy as I am holy. Here's what Peter's really saying. Be holy because you are holy. Do you see it? Be holy because you're holy like, like God. Be, be, be holy because you now have a nature of obedience. You've been reborn. You've been rebirthed with a new nature of obedience. Just take a quick look at this with me in 2 Peter 1 verse 4. Look how Peter puts it. He opens it up. He says, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Do you see it? To be, to be born again is to participate in the divine nature. We've got the Spirit of God in us. We have the Spirit of Christ in us. In us. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory, Paul says in Colossians chapter 1. We have the very holy nature of God in us, which is why we can and will be obedient. We could very well write 1 Peter 1.16 like this. Be holy because I'm holy in you. You get that? That's really what Peter's getting at. Be holy. Because I'm holy in you. Mark read Leviticus 19 for us. And let me just back up into the, uh, into the Old Covenant. And just, just see how this is set up for us. Just a couple of verses again. And, and, and notice. Just, just notice how it's put, uh, Leviticus 19, 1 and 2. Uh, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Right? And Peter's quoting directly from this passage as well as Leviticus chapter 11. And look at it further. 
respect your mother and father, obey the, obey the Sabbaths. Why? Because I am I'm the Lord your God. I'm, 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 I'm the holy God. Uh, same again, verse 12. Don't swear falsely. Don't profane the name of your Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Uh, verse 14, do not curse the deaf. Don't put a stumbling block in front of the blind. Because I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Don't seek revenge. Don't bear a grudge. Love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. I am the holy Lord. Here's a delicious one. Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. If you want to explain that verse, talk to me afterwards. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Down in verse 7, keep all my decrees and all my laws and follow them. I am the Lord. Old covenant, if you want to put it this way. Old covenant, I am the Lord, so be holy. Be holy because I am holy. New covenant, be holy because I am holy in you. I'm in you. My nature is in you. My spirit is in you. Now, let me give you a wonderful link between hope and holiness. Here's the link. Your hope of future grace inspires and motivates your holiness now. Your hope inspires and motivates your holiness now. Let me show you what I mean. And look at it all in this verse. 1 John chapter 3 verse 2. He says, now, now we are children of God, right? What, just follow with me now. Here's the whole passage, right? Now, are we children of God now? Yes. And what we will be has not yet been made known, right? So it's coming. It's a now, but it's a, it's a not yet. But when Christ appears, when he's revealed, it's the same word, apocalypsis, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now watch this, verse 3. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Do you see it? If you have the hope of being like Christ one day, you want to be as much like him now as you can be, right? It's never going to be perfect, of course. Remember, we're incarcerated in this body of death. Your hope of being like Christ motivates your godliness now. If that's your hope, if you're going to be like Christ, you want to be as much like him now as you possibly can be. So let me give you, and they all come out of Peter. Here are five of the most incredible, compelling reasons and motivations for our godliness, for our walk of holiness. One, we bear the image of Christ. Two, we have the Holy Spirit in us, which makes us His holy temple. Three, we have been born again with a new nature of obedience. Four, our God is holy. Five, the hope of our future, holy glory. I suppose I could put it like this to you. Brother and sister, because you are in Christ, because you're in Him, be holy.
righteous. Be clean. Be godly. Because you're in Christ, keep fleeing from sin. Keep fleeing sexual immorality. Keep putting evil desires and sin to death. Let me give you one more scripture. And I'm not really going to comment on it because it just, it's sort of, <laughs> I guess it's the Apostle Paul summing up all that, 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 that Peter's getting at. So take a look at it in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 14. Just listen to it. Just listen. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. This grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to say yes to self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. Here it is again. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Let me ask you a couple of things as we start to bring things to a close. I guess the first question is, are you hopeful this morning? Are you hopeful of the future grace that's coming when Jesus is revealed? And I want to say to you, my brother and sister, this. If you have his grace now, you'll have his grace then. If you have it now, you can't lose it. You can't mess it up. You can't forfeit it. You can't lose it. You can't. If it's yours now, it will be then. But if you don't have it now, if you don't have his grace now, you won't have future grace. So today is the day of grace. Today. Today is the day to come and receive grace upon grace upon grace upon grace in Christ in the anticipation of the fullness of that grace one day. Do you have the hope that is eternal? Are you holy? Do you have that obedient nature? Do you... Have you got that new nature of obedience? Is it yours? Then be holy. Be holy. As I ask the music team to come up, I'm going to just put one last slide up. It explains itself. And two things to ponder as I put it up. 
the monumental difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. And if that is who you are, Christian, if that's who you are, that one, be holy. Be holy.